0: Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories from Australia and around the world. Produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across this continent via the community radio network. I'm Tisha Nahan. Years ago, soldiers, workers, and peasants across the Russian Empire rose up with the dream that a better world was possible. Radical scientists and ecologists reading Marx envisioned an alternative to capitalist domination and extraction of the environment. They established a network of vast nature reserves called Zapovedniki and embarked on scientific research leading to theories of community ecology foreseen the dangers of pesticides in industrial agriculture and made many advances years ahead of the capitalist West. Aaron Gare is an Associate Professor in Philosophy and Cultural Inquiry at Swinburne University in Melbourne. His research seeks to unearth the forgotten history of these early Soviet ecologists. I started by asking Aaron why, in this centenary year of the October 1917 revolution, is it more important than ever to reassess the environmental record of the Soviet Union.
1: Well, I think Marx is right that capitalism is a system that reproduces itself and has to continually expand until it destroys the conditions of its existence. Um, initially, he thought that it would be um, a, a development of the proletariat who would be able to seize power. Well, that's not on the agenda now. The, the um, destruction that's going to take place is the destruction of the global ecosystem. So unless you can find some alternative path to the trajectory we're on, which is the domination of the world by the world market, uh, we face you know, the collapse of civilization, perhaps the end of humanity. So you have to look at the people who pushed for a different direction. Uh, the history of the Soviet Union has been you know, really misrepresented because prior to the revolution, the life expectancy of people in the Ukraine was about you – know, peasants in the Ukraine was about 30 um, it was a hideous world that they lived in. So the Bolshevik revolution, even with all its bad sides, um, you know, has been, was a, an achievement. And really it was a, a mobilization of society to industrialize, to prevent being subjugated by the West. Um, you know, the, the Germans had a plan to um, exterminate 60% of the Ukrainians, uh, 80% of the Poles. This is the General Plan Ost. So, you know, the, the forced industrialization prevented that happening. And, you know, the leader of that was really Stalin. Now, what I argue is that uh, Stalin wasn't a communist. He was a nihilist, if you look at the 1860s nihilists. Uh, The genuine Marxists had a totally different agenda, but they were blocked from developing, uh, you know, what they wanted to do, partly because power struggles within the Soviet Union, but also because of the conditions in which they were fighting, you know, with the European West trying to overthrow the communist government. They were under continual threat, Right until the collapse of the Soviet Union, you know from n- nuclear missile attacks and so on, so you know if you look at the um, the papers that have been released after the collapse of the Soviet Union, it's clear that the United States was always the aggressor in the Cold War, not the Soviet Union but I don't want to defend you know the Soviet Union as such it's the the agenda that they had in place on the basis of their, the the uh, people who really understood what Marx was about, overcoming those hideous destructive tendencies within capitalism and to try and create a new social order and working out what that would be. And people tend to think of the uh, Soviet Union as a competition between um, you know, Trotsky and Stalin. Um, Stalin initially supporting the new economic policy, which was capitalism run by technocrats, and a militarization of the entire society, which eventually is what Stalin implemented. And what people have ignored is a third tradition which was really genuinely Marxist, the people who wanted to uh, put workers in control of industry, um, create a a strong democracy. Um, And these are the people who were most committed to um, environmentalism. They were supported to some extent by Lenin. I mean, Lenin regarded the new economic policy as only a temporary thing and, um, you know, it was a bit mixed up to some extent. And when he... Uh, was retired and started studying Marx in more depth. He realized that most people hadn't understood Marx. Um, but the people like Bogdanov and Lunacharsky, who became Commissar of Education, um, did understand what Marx was talking about. Um, you know, the tendency for commodification, the instrumentalization of everything, first of all, nature and then people, the um, impoverishment of people as a consequence of that, um, and the possibility of using the technological advances created by. Capitalism to create a far more humane democratic society, and that's I think what we have to aim for at present.
0: You've brought up two key uh, strands that I, I want to tease out. There, one of which is uh, different um, ideologies, different uh, towards nature, mm-hmm. um, and these are ones you've identified in your research uh, uh, were were current uh, in Russia and, and throughout Europe before before the October Revolution. And then, also, of course, the main actors so that's mm-hmm. sort of two that I want to talk about let's let's start by talking about uh three very opposing um traditions or ideologies and their view towards nature, the environment, the natural world, and human's relationships to it and One of those ideologies is the one that you you kind of align with these these radical marxists mm-hmm. so Give us a bit of an idea about what what were the competing ideas you know towards the environment and environmentalism going on at the time
1: well russia had already had a strong uh, history of environmental concern so there were the romantics which is like the people who defend wilderness areas these days there were people who had a purely utilitarian idea about you know you don't wreck nature because you know it's important to us and we want to preserve it but the, the the third tradition is much more interesting in my view, because it was associated with recognizing that we're part of nature and that it's got its own dynamics, its own creativity, and that you have to appreciate that to properly appreciate what humans are. And then you have to appreciate that humans themselves are creative beings within nature, or they can be destructive within nature. Um, So these are the people who were upholding the um, ideas that influenced Marx, the romantic ideas, which was really a scientific movement as well as everything else. Uh, The ideas of people like Herder, um, Goethe, and particularly Schelling. And these ideas were further developments of ideas of people like Giordano Bruno, and also the pre-Socratic philosophers like Anaximander. So if you look at the whole history of these thinkers, they've always been associated with a strong commitment to democracy, egalitarianism, uh, the idea of nature being self-organizing, or humans being capable of self-organizing. Um, the opposition to that came from mechanists, you know people who had a sharp differentiation between humans as thinking substances outside nature controlling it so that 's the Cartesian dualism um, with other people regarded also as just mechanisms. you know this is the Hobbesian view of what humans are so that they can be effectively controlled um, Now if you look at the uh, Marxists um, to some extent they are confused, and Marx you know was appalled by most of his followers, so he said one thing that he knew was that he wasn't a Marxist. Um, but the, the Marxists, um, to a considerable extent, were, um, you know, took up the capitalist mindset, you know, the capitalist imaginary, thinking that the goal of a, cap- a communist society is to more efficiently develop the forces of production um, so that uh, you know, planned economy with managers in control um, will be more efficient than capitalism at controlling nature. Now, that wasn't what Marx was on about. But um, in the Soviet Union, and you can see this to some extent in other countries that embraced communism in the third world, um, it wasn't what Marx was talking about that interested them. It was the idea of industrializing very rapidly. It's what Bogdanov called as war communism. And it was promoted by uh, Trotsky, really. Uh, The new economic policy, the third movement, wasn't planned at all. I mean, this was... um, what they fell back on when there wasn't a communist revolution in Western Europe. They had to somehow get the economy working um, and hopefully in the future they thought that they'd be able to create something uh, better. Um, But then the trouble is that they tend to forget about that. But Bogdanov anticipated that a communist revolution would lead to either a technocratic capitalism, um, which would um, be no better, perhaps even worse than the capitalism in the West, or war communism, which would eventually lead to stagnation and a new kind of feudalism, which is really what happened. So the um, you know, it's the, the, that first group that I talked about, the ones who uh, you know, had a hist- an understanding of the whole history of philosophy, understood where Marx was coming from, um, who uh, had the right ideas. But the trouble is that they're a small minority within the whole movement.
0: A small minority, but for a period of time managed to take a, a position of, Of some influence. So Mm. maybe if we can just briefly sketch out who some of these key figures are. So you've talked about Bogdanov. Um, There's also Lunachowski and some other scientists who are really key. Mm. So maybe just give a brief sketch of who these characters were and where they were sitting in the the political landscape and and how they were interacting with each other.
1: Well, a lot of the important people were outside the Communist Party, or they might have been members, but um, they weren't part of the Bolshevik revolution. People like Stan Chinsky, for instance, the ecologist who couldn't get his degree from Germany recognised until after the revolution. Um, but there are a whole lot of um, fascinating figures in the 1920s. It was a period of incredible creativity that was made possible partly by Lunacharsky, providing the conditions where these people could gain you know, appointments and so on. Um, so you think of the Bakhtin School of Uh, um, literature and so on, Vanadsky, a whole range of figures. Um, So they formed a um, a movement supported by or promoted by Bogdanov um, and then supported by Lunacharsky, the cult movement. So these people believed that if they were going to create a a new kind of society where people govern themselves, they needed a new culture that incorporated the best of all past cultures, but would be something new, creative, So they participated in this creative endeavor. Um, Chagall, for instance, the artist, was aligned with these people, although the the direction that the Soviet Union took led led him to, um, you know, leave the Soviet Union. But, um, you know, ideas in psychology, um, Vygotsky, for instance, was part of this creation of a new culture. And it was all associated with upholding, you know, the the capacity of humans to be creative. Um, So it ran through the Communist Party and... um, but uh, you know, with that those fights between the Stalinists and the and Trotsky, it was mainly between Trotsky and his supporters Zinoviev and Kamenev, and Stalin on the other side. Initially supporting the new economic policy, and then moving against um, the new economic policy to get rid of the right people like Bukharin, who was a really decent sort of character. You know, sort of somebody who um, supported the new economic policy as the uh, uh, you know best strategy for the time, but was really a humane figure. And then, you know, he ended up being uh, killed in the uh, purges in the 1930s, 1937, I think. Um, the, the, the followers of Luna he resigned in 1929 um, <coughs> against the efforts to control universities, saying that you know he thought it was important to have pluralism. Um, there weren't many um, members of that forward group actually in the government, a fairly small minority. Although Bogdanov, I think, did influence Bukharin a fair bit and his development of a kind of systems theory
0: approach to understanding society. You're listening to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories on the Community Radio Network. In this centenary year of the Russian Revolution, we're speaking with Professor Arangair about the forgotten history of early Soviet ecologists. So let's jump into the 1920s. Mm-hmm. So where the the Soviet government is still quite young, it's fending off a lot of threats, and Lenin takes time out to meet with some of these radicals who are not necessarily directly al- aligned with with him, but they have the through their 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 take on on Marxism have a, a radical. Uh, approach to the environment. Yeah, what? So what? What? What was the outcome of of the meeting of of these ideas? And, and what was what was some of the key achievements? Because there's sort of really a, a one specific and sort of concrete key achievement that 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 was that was gained, wasn't there? Out of out of this sort of oh yeah. So
1: they, they um, developed a whole department which was um, put in the hands of Ludo Charsky. who was also commissar for education. Uh, they established a whole lot of. Uh, research stations as a a prophet Nikki um, to a to show what was going on. Um, So they they really cultivated the development of ecology, um, became a really important science included in the school curriculum. So you can see that that was a a major development. I mean I think ecology is a science that really challenges mainstream reductionist science and which is why so many people are hostile to it. But it was really well established in the Soviet Union so that Research in ecology in the Soviet Union was way ahead of uh, research anywhere else in the world. The ideas that they developed were about 10 years in advance of what was being developed in America, for instance.
0: And one of the key things was the establishment of these Zapovedniks, these nature reserves. And and quite different uh, to the history of nature reserves in, in the West, such as in the United States or in Australia. This was the establishment of nature reserves, which were sort of the highest level of conservation, you know, in, in terms of how, how they're viewed today. Mm. Um, and really uh, conservation uh, for, for the sake of scientific research. And so it was through the establishment of these nature reserves early on in mm. in, in the Soviet Union, quite amazing to, to think, and then the scientific research that came out of that and through some of these key figures that we've been talking about. And so you mentioned ideas to do with ecology. And so I guess can we sort of talk a little bit more about that?
1: Um, well, the Russians were way ahead of under, understanding symbiosis, um, you know, that ecosystems provide the – or the dynamics of them reproduces the environment within, within which life can flourish. Um, <clears throat> so the, the idea of these is being modeled so that you could see how nature worked. The, the significant thing about it, I think, is the um, unification of this conservation with ecology. So it was seen as part of science – There's a tendency um, in the West for this romanticism that's anti-science to support, you know, wilderness areas and so on, whereas in the Soviet Union, it was part of science, a new kind of science, post-mechanistic science, um, so that it was associated with trying to rethink the place of humans within nature so that they have to see themselves as participants within ecosystems. Uh, The idea of Etelonia's model so that you could see the human interventions where they were changing things and, and work out where you were perhaps destroying important components of those ecosystems. So it's that um, incorporation of it into the uh, science and by virtue of that into the economy, the way the economy was understood. Um, you know, one of the unfortunate things about uh, Marx is that the subtitle of capital is uh, left out of the translation, a critique of political economy. So it wasn't promoting a, a kind of economics supporting the labor theory of value, He was saying that these categories are the forms of being which uh, prevent us properly understanding what's going on both between people and between humans and the rest of nature. Now, if you're really going to challenge that, you have to have new categories that can define relationships between people and the rest of nature. And so what you saw the beginning of in that period in the Soviet Union was the development of those concepts.
0: That's something that I find really interesting, reading about this and reading your paper these radicals who had a particular um reading of, of of Marx which led them to a particular view towards the environment and science and then their scientific research then seemingly having an influence back on their on their broader political ideas. So I guess what are what are some of the broader political, philosophical ideas that this led led them to to come to
1: well, they came to appreciate that if you treat nature as just an instrument, then you're going to treat people in the same way. So, if you're going to really emancipate people, you also have to emancipate nature and have a different attitude towards it. But that have that those have to be incorporated into your institutions and to your understanding of the world, not just uh, you know an add-on, <laughs> romantic add-on. So, I think that that's the most important aspect of it. That um, they try to influence, you know, the the. when when Stalin developed his five-year plans, they wanted to have an input. Um, They were were shunned, you know, they were closed down largely, not entirely because the Soviet Union did have this strong regard for science. So even though Stanchinsky lost his position and the book that he had ready for publication was blocked in the the press and it was, you know, the lead typing was broken up. (laughs) Uh, he, He died during the retreat from the Germans at the beginning of the Second World War. So, but others did survive and in the Zaffar and um, uh, they didn't have much influence but they, they attempted to. They t- uh, tried to be at the core of formulation of economic policies in the five-year plans.
0: And so then we're talking about the period in which Stalin becomes leader of the Soviet Union now, and those contestations around so science and really what is the role of science and very, very different and very competing ideas. So they're, there's this period of contestation before what we can then perhaps see as a sort of a a greater repression or sort of Mm
1: -hmm. um,
0: disavowal of of those earlier ideas. So kind of what what was going on there at that time?
1: Well, talking about the disruption that caused the revolution, um, the civil war that followed, I think led to 12 million people being killed, Um, one and a half million on each side in the armies. But that was the leading um, communist you know, workers—they—they they were wiped out. Um, then you had, you know, all this rhetoric coming from people like Hitler in Germany. So Germany, for, I mean, the Soviet Union for, for good reason that they're under threat. And a lot of people, like Menzies in Australia, for instance, supported Hitler, hoping that it would invade um, the Soviet Union and get rid of communism. So the there was a, a strong movement to industrialise. Then the um, the peasants had done pretty well out of the revolution; uh, land had been redistributed distributed. But the workers weren't in the cities weren't producing anything that the people in, on the land wanted. And so they were short of food. Um, so the idea of the Stalinists was that, um, or the people who ended up supporting Stalinists that you somehow had to bring these peasants into line and extract more <laughs> goods from them <laughs> of their produce, which eventually led to the... Um, <coughs> the um, uh, Elimination of private property of land, <laughs> um, and starving to death of 3.1 million people in the Ukraine, um, but it worked. You know, they got the agricultural surplus, surplus um, and the peasants suffered because they killed their cattle and so on, uh, and that provided the conditions for them to. Uh, well, they exported their agricultural produce uh, to import all the machinery required to produce the T44, T34 tank, and so on. So it was really that forced industrialisation. That enabled them to win the Second World War. So you have to understand, you know, the hideous aspects of the Soviet Union, partly in, tr- in relationship to what was going on elsewhere. Um, the agenda of people like Bogdanov was to um, create a, um, you know, to overcome the opposition between managers and workers. So you'd have self-management, um, you know, democratization of industry, and that was on their their real agenda. And you needed an education for people to be able to do that. Um, so that was the um, thing that they promoted.
0: 2017, the Soviet Union has fallen Mm -hmm. (laughs) and history's ended. There is no alternative. Mm. You write in your your paper, um, the conservation movement was the ghost of authentic communism. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that, the ghost of authentic communism after the fall of the Soviet Union.
1: So this was the transformation of culture, which recognized that nature is creative and humans are creative and that they can be self-organizing. They don't need managers to control them. The sense in which you know, the, the orthodox Marxists have partly triumphed. You know, I talked about the dialectical synthesis in neoliberalism of the worst aspect of the Soviet Union. So the authentic opposition to that is one that um, you know, revives that idea of us partici- uh, being participants in a creative world. And having to uh take responsibility for the future uh, it's still the same struggle that has to be undertaken so we're facing another massive uh, ecological crisis I mean the financial crisis was a haring um, <clears throat> of that I think but it um um th- that's why I think we just just have to cover recover that earlier vision and appreciate that um you know they did succeed to some extent um they showed what was
0: possible. Professor Aaron Gare of Swinburne University in Melbourne. If you're interested to read some of Aaron's research, you can find a link to his paper with the podcast of this program. No, no, no. No, no. You've been listening to Earth Matters, Community Radio's National Environmental Justice Program. I'm Tisha Ahern The sounds that you heard in today's program were an excerpt from The Radio of the Future, a 1921 avant-garde composition by Velimir Klebennikov, and recreated in 2006 by Leopoldo Amigo, Miguel Molina and Pilar Abad. If you missed any of today's show, you can find our podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country. You can contact us on zero three nine four one nine. 9419 via email on earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or on our Facebook page. I hope you can tune in next week for more Earth Matters.